Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. 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 Are you spending too much time managing your Airbnb guest communications? With Aviva IQ's easy-to-use automated messaging service, your guest communications go on autopilot so you can go back to living your life. Get your free Aviva IQ account at www.avivaiq.com. What's up, everybody? Another episode of Get Paid for Your Pet. And today I'm very excited to be hosting this news episode with Mr. Glenn Carter, all the way from Canada. How you doing, Jasper? Good, man. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. It's 5 a.m. here in Canada, so uh, I've got my coffee. I'm trying to rub the cobwebs out of my eyes, so I'll try and try and give your audience some some interesting dialogue. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. There's a few interesting topics to discuss today, so I'm excited. How are you enjoying Taipei? Good. It's been really good. I'm actually going to Singapore on Thursday. There's this cruise. It's called It's the Ship. It's the ship.com is the website and it's a yearly cruise. It's a pretty big cruise ship and it's basically a party cruise. So it goes from Singapore, leaves Singapore on Friday and then it sails to Phuket, which is in Thailand. And then it sails back. And then on Monday, I'll be back in Singapore. It's basically three days off partying. There's all sorts of like EDM guys that are performing on the boat and so there's going to be lots of music lots of events lots of activities and all sorts of kind of stuff so it's gonna it's gonna be pretty fun i'm gonna go with 12 friends oh wow that's that be sounds big terribly group. boring <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i'm pretty excited about it it's gonna be good fun i think and a nice no little, that sounds great and nice little I'm break from work phuket's beautiful i'm sure you've been there before right yeah i have definitely so it's gonna be nice you know also to be out on the open ocean and not have internet and all the worries of day-to-day life. Just go off the grid, man. Absolutely. Let's start with Airbnb offering some insights into their smart pricing algorithm. Now, the smart pricing functionality that Airbnb offers to its hosts, it's been discussed quite often. And I think a lot of hosts are reporting that they feel like it always recommends lower prices than would be optimal which I think makes sense because Airbnb is not a very credible price advisor as they have to keep the interest of both the host and the guests in their minds. And so they're not like objective when it comes to prices and they have to think about their own interests as well, of course. So a lot of people think it's always recommending lower prices. And I think this article kind of confirms that. This is the first time I've seen something from Airbnb where they actually give insight into their smart pricing functionality. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are, Glenn. Yeah, I'm I'm applauding the transparency here from Airbnb. We had the article earlier, I think last month, about how they do uh, their search results and, and what goes into that and giving hosts a bit more insight on the ranking factors. 
And again, here with the smart pricing, there's a lot of stuff that we suspected, but was yet to be confirmed. And I think you're absolutely right, Jasper, that a lot of people are saying that prices are low. I think Airbnb's argument to that is that we can set you know minimum price for your listing, but it's pretty impressive the amount of data that goes into the smart pricing algorithm. And they say here there's 70 different factors. Uh, a lot of them make sense, like your you know seasonality and you know the popularity of your market and your booking history, what rates have been booked in your property in the past. They say further on down in the article how potential guests interact with your listing, how long they stay on the listing. So there's a lot that goes into it. So it's pretty pretty insightful article. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely confirms that it's designed to increase the chance that you receive a booking. And I think that's important to note because there's a difference between maximizing the chance that you'll receive a booking and maximizing your profit as an Airbnb host. Every host has to decide for themselves like what your goal is, of course. You know, some people might just want to maximize their chances of booking. They just want to host a lot of people and they're not so concerned with, you know, making as much money as possible. Whereas for other hosts, that that might be their goal. So I think it's great that Airbnb confirms that. Like you said, it's kind of like something that everybody had a suspicion that that would be the case. It's definitely interesting. The argument that they uh, bring up about the minimum pricing, though, I want to comment on that because it's true. You can set a minimum price, but that still doesn't prevent Airbnb from recommending prices that are less than optimal, right? Because let's say like the demand is very high in a certain time of year or there's a special event in town, for example. You can set a minimum price, but the optimal price is going to be much higher than your minimum, right? I think the minimum price is a good tool in terms of you know, setting a minimum for what you want to make in terms of it, it being worth the hassle of cleaning and, and managing and hosting and stuff. Because for some people, if they're not making a certain price, then they rather not host, right? Maybe people who clean their own apartments or, you know, who need a little bit more time for like the check-in and the check-out. I think that's a good tool to use, but not really, it doesn't really help you to to set the optimal prices though. What do you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the point of a minimum price is sort of like your baseline. And the idea behind dynamic pricing is that what's good this week might not be good next week. You know, there might be a festival next week or, you know, seasonality when it comes to summer, winter, fall, spring. I mean, you don't want to always be in there changing your minimum price based on the week of the month or the month of the year. So yeah, it's kind of annoying that you would have to go in and change it based on your own perception of what you think the market factors are. But I think you can set that baseline, but I'd be interested to know how often that minimum pricing is hit on an Airbnb listing. Because, you know, if 30 or 40% of the time you're reaching your minimum price, then I think that lends a bit of credence to what people are saying that Airbnb smart pricing sort of tends toward the lowest pricing and sort of favors the travelers over the hosts. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Because Airbnb wants to get more users on the platform. And so they want to keep the rates affordable. I've heard the argument against this, by the way, as well from some people. They're saying, well, but isn't it in Airbnb's best interest to have high prices because they're making a percentage of the price, right? So if prices are high, then the 10 or 12% that they're taking from the guest is also higher. And although that's true, I think that Airbnb is very focused on user growth and not so much focused on maximizing their profits. And so for in the short term, that might be true. In the long term, I think they just want to get more users on their platform. And I think it's also important for their branding because they want to brand Airbnb as an affordable platform, as a cheaper choice 
versus hotels. So I think for their branding, it's also important for them to keep the prices down. Yeah, I absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think user growth is definitely its priority and it has been. I mean, they've been growing exponentially over the last couple of years. But I don't know, Jasper, if you saw the the study by Morgan Stanley that growth might be slowing down. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's jump on that. So Morgan Stanley, they did a survey amongst 4,000 people in the US and the UK, Germany and France. They asked them a bunch of questions. And I think one of the interesting conclusions is that 80% of the people they knew about Airbnb. So awareness of Airbnb has definitely increased a lot. And on the one hand, you could say, oh, that's a good thing. You know, everybody knows about Airbnb. At the same time, it's also a damper on growth, a potential damper on growth for the future, right? Because you can get a lot of what they call easy growth by just increasing your awareness. Because people who don't know about Airbnb, they can't book, right? They're not going to make any bookings. So 80% of the people knew about Airbnb. So there's not that much growth anymore that can come from more people knowing about Airbnb, at least in the US, the UK, Germany, and France. Of course, I think there's still plenty of countries out there where awareness of Airbnb is probably much lower. So you're looking at maybe filled world countries, countries in Asia and South America. I've noticed here in Taiwan that a lot of people don't know about Airbnb. So this could be very different in other areas. And maybe that's where Airbnb should focus for their growth. But yeah, some of the conclusions have led Morgan Stanley to lower their expectations for the future growth and also for the user adoption. They've lowered their estimates a bit. Yeah. And I think the headline here is that Airbnb is still growing, according to Morgan Stanley, is that they're not going to grow at the exponential rate that they have been. I haven't seen the study. I've seen the article based on the study from Barron's, but at least the article says that the survey showed that Airbnb's growth is slowing and that they based this finding on their increased forecast for hotel industry revenue per room available. So I don't know if this is actually based on Airbnb per se or or the fact that the forecast for the hotel industry for the next year is looking a lot better than usual. So I'd like to see the data behind this. But I do agree with the overall thesis that, you know, the days of easy growth are going to be harder and harder. You can only grow hundreds or even thousands of percent year over year for so long. But I think with Airbnb's push into China, which is one of the, the Chinese spend more on travel than Americans. So with their push into that market, that we may continue for the next couple of years to see the substantial growth that we've seen over the last, well, since Airbnb's founding. Right. And they do also mention a few data points. So I agree. It'd be interesting to see those. So let's go through some of the data points. They had expected business travel adoption to increase from 18 to 23%, and it only grew to 20%. And also, at the same time, worries about Airbnb guest safety and security are on the rise. They're saying that people concerned about such issues rose from 10% in 2016 to 25% in 2017. So at least, and remember, this is based on a survey of 4,000 people. Keep that in mind. But that's a pretty big jump, though. The amount of people concerned about safety and security issues went from 10 to 25%. That's a big jump. And the reason for that is probably because there's just been so many articles in the media highlighting the very few cases where something happens, something bad happens, right? We've had a bunch of things happen. And as Airbnb grows, of course, the chances of those bad things happening go up. But it's like those type of stories are being overrepresented in the media because that type of story always gets a lot of attention. And so I guess that's the reason for that jump. 
Yeah, I think a lot of those bad news stories are the media will always jump on those in particular certain types of media who support the hotel industry and they tend to over, well, they don't tend to, they do overemphasize the failures and don't even mention the successes that, you know, how many people a night are staying at an Airbnb? We do get some pretty horrific stories, but, you know, if we heard about everything that happened in the hotel room on any given night, we'd probably hear some pretty horrific things as well. So I think in this sense, Airbnb is just sort of falling on their own sword in terms of their success. There's going to be some bad news stories out there. Just in the largest Airbnb markets over the last three months, we've seen 40% growth. I remember reading that. So I think that growth is still in Airbnb's future. I don't whether it's slowing or not and what our definition of slowing is. And do these news stories have that big of a of an impact on travelers? Yes, it probably has an impact on some. But I think for most people who've stayed at an Airbnb or who are Airbnb hosts, they understand these things are just one-offs and that you're going to get these type of horrific events anywhere you are. Yeah, I think you're right. I think whenever something bad happens in Airbnb, people are always talking about, oh, that's like a safety concern and Airbnb is not safe and stuff. It's always being framed like that by certain media types, like you said. But of course, there's all sorts of stuff. All sorts of bad stuff happens in the world. So some bad stuff is going to happen in an Airbnb. I mean, you know, we've had the horrible event in Vegas a while ago where the shooter was in a hotel room. But I didn't see any media publications that that were questioning the safety and security of hotels. I'm sure if it would have been an Airbnb, that would be the first thing that they would publish, right? Yeah, that's obviously a very horrific event. But I know that some of the lobby groups, they would have made that the headline if that were the case, if this shooter had been shooting from an Airbnb residence as opposed to a hotel room. Hosts, I am having so much fun running my Airbnb and hosting travelers from all around the world. I have to admit though, ensuring my guests receive all the details about their stay on time can be stressful and overwhelming. Recently, I learned about a cool new service called Aviva IQ. Aviva IQ automates, personalizes, and delivers my guest communications automatically, so I don't have to. Now I can relax knowing my guests are informed and happy. Did I mention Aviva IQ is free? Get your life back at www.avivaiq.com. Another article came out. The article features the CEO of Hyatt Hotels. And, you know, we've talked about this before as well. You know, the hotel lobby is obviously trying to promote anti short term rental regulations in, in cities and stuff to make sure that Airbnb doesn't pose a, as much as a big threat to the hotel industry. But another way to look at Airbnb and a much more productive way, I think, is to ask yourself the question like, how can we learn from Airbnb and how can we make our own hotel experience better? And that's kind of what the CEO of Hyatt is talking about. He's saying that Airbnb has actually made his business stronger because it made them realize that you know travelers are looking for a more personalized experience. And so the way that they've trained their staff and the way that they are creating experiences for their guests at their hotels has actually changed as a result of the success of Airbnb. And Hyatt seems to be doing pretty well. They're opening up 60 new hotels this year. They're building new buildings as well at record pace. So Seems like they're doing well, and I think I think that's a much better attitude to have than instead of trying to ban Airbnb, just try to learn some lessons from it. I really enjoyed this article, the conciliatory tone that the Hyatt CEO is taking, and I think he's owning the fact that his industry has fell short over the last decade, and that that's given rise to platforms like Airbnb. 
You know, he uses the term that Airbnb is a positive disruptor, which has forced the hotel industry to really focus on their target market for Hyatt. That's caused them to sort of up their game on high-end travelers. And as you mentioned, they've, they've experienced some pretty strong growth. And a lot of that has been in China and, and Airbnb is now moving into China as well. So that's going to be the next frontier of sort of the short-term rental industry, hotels, Airbnb, that kind of thing. So, But I really enjoyed the emphasis that the CEO places on experiences and he acknowledges that you know people are looking for experiences and that's how Airbnb has been so successful over the last couple of years because it's filled that gap that the hotel industry neglected to fill. Absolutely. And now you mentioned China and we've talked about China quite a bit recently. And now we have, there's a new article that came out, like Airbnb has seen some headwinds in China with their head of Airbnb China left recently. They sent the co-founder Nathan Blacharczyk over to sort things out. And they're pretty optimistic still. They're emphasizing that China is one of Airbnb's fastest growing markets. And so they're still expecting a, a lot of growth to come from there. Yeah, their Airbnb is certainly taking China seriously as they should be. And I think this is a great move by Airbnb given the potential upcoming IPO and the fact that, as I mentioned before, the Chinese spend more money on travel than Americans. So Airbnb will need to pay special attention and they know this as the Chinese market is a lot different than where Airbnb is used to operating. We all remember what happened to Uber in China. The Chinese government, you know, strongly favors local competitors to outsiders. So Airbnb will have to put out all the stops if they want to gain a competitive advantage in this market. But, you know, as you mentioned, now the co-founder is heading up the Airbnb China. They've already experienced some strong growth. He was saying over the last 12 months, the number of tourists traveling abroad and visiting China through Airbnb have increased over 100% up to 250%, according to Nathan this is a pretty interesting move. And you know, hotels, as I mentioned, Hyatt, their biggest growth was in China. So as I mentioned, this is going to be the next frontier of uh, hospitality over the next couple of years. So it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. Absolutely. Now, there are some landlords on this planet who are making a lot of money on Airbnb. And there's some data that came out from our friends at AirDNA. They looked at the most successful Airbnb landlords in the world. And the number one is based in London. And there's one based in Bali. And they're making a lot of money. The most successful Airbnb landlord made 11.9 million pounds. If I calculate quickly, that's about $18 million in a single year by renting out 881 London properties. 881. That's a, a lot of Airbnb listings. I wonder how he yeah, manages I, that. <laughs> well, exactly. Managing that. So I think this number, correct me if I'm wrong, Jasper, but this is gross income. This is not net income, right? Yeah, I would, I would think so. So I think there's a lot of caveats to this data that need to be thrown out there. I think as all of your listeners know, managing one or two properties, there's a lot of expenses that come with that. So Managing 881 properties in London, one of the most expensive traveling markets in the world. I mean, it's a great headline, but I think without substantial amount of caveats that this can be taken out of context. And I think this could even be fodder for some of the uh, hotel lobby groups saying, you know, we told you so. People operating on Airbnb are just high-end property managers. It's not, you know, mom and pop shops, not people renting out their primary residence. And even AirDNA said that According to their data, about only two-thirds of Airbnb hosts on their platform are renting out their primary residence. I think they said a third of individuals are property managers with multiple properties. So I see this stoking the flames a bit, Jasper. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this kind of stuff 
that the hotel lobby loves to use as sort of as a way to say that Airbnb is not the grandmother renting out a, a spare bedroom. No, I think you're right. I mean, there's opportunity on the Airbnb platforms. It's only uh, logical that you know some of these property managers are starting to use Airbnb as well for their business, right? If you have like a hundred apartments somewhere and you have your own website, like why wouldn't you list on Airbnb? And I don't think that's a bad thing, you know. Like why wouldn't those people, you know, use those platforms? I mean, I think that's fine. But another interesting piece of data that was mentioned in the article is. Now, where can you make the most money renting properties on Airbnb? So they looked at the average income for landlords in a specific location. And the number one was actually kind of interesting. At first, I was surprised, but then later I thought about it. And I think it actually makes sense. The first one is Bali in Indonesia, a popular vacation spot, especially in Asia for Australian people go there a lot. It's quite close to Australia, but it's also very popular amongst Europeans. They're making over $40,000 on average. And I guess that's because in Bali, there's no regulations as I know of. And so, of course, that means that a lot of people can rent out full time versus in big cities like Tokyo, Barcelona, as mentioned in the list, and also New York, Amsterdam, Los Angeles. In those places, there's a lot of people who are renting out a part of the year, right? Either like a couple of weeks or a couple of months or something due to regulations or the nature of their business. Whereas in Bali, I think it, the market's probably dominated by investors who rent out villas to tourists and they probably do that year round. Yeah, I don't know much about the Bali market, but $40,000 a year seems like a lot. And again, you got to remember that that's gross income, not net income. If you break down 40000 a year, that's about $110 a day, 365 days a year. So if you're renting out with zero vacancy at $110 a day, that's a pretty good business. And I, again, I don't know the Bali market enough to comment on whether that's accurate, but that seems pretty generous to me. Yeah, well, I've I've been there a couple of times, and I mean, there's you know, it's a very popular holiday spot, and I'm sure that there's lots of villas. Like a lot of people go to Bali to rent a villa, and I guess those villas they go for two, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred up a night. And if you're doing that full time, then that's really gonna pull the average up as well, of course. Anyway, that was it for today, uh, Glenn. We were running out of time. Yeah, well, there was a lot to cover, uh, Jasper. Thanks for having me on. And how much longer are you in Taipei for? And where's next for you? Well, I'll be here after I come back from my cruise experience. I will be here for another few weeks. And I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a ticket out yet. So, <laughs> Behave yourself on the high seas. Okay, I will do. And my next destination will definitely not be Canada because it's way too cold there. I'm looking outside now and there's already frost on the ground. So it's winter's coming, as they say. <laughs> winter's HBO. coming. Don't go north of the wall. <laughs> All right, we'll, Glenn. Get you up to, we'll get you up to Canada in the summer. All right, Glenn. Sounds good. All right, Thank you. Care, thanks Jeff. for joining. And for the listeners, thanks for listening. And of course, on Monday, there will be another episode because even though I am going to be partying on the ship, that doesn't mean that you won't get your episode on Monday because... I've already taken care of it. So we'll see you on Monday. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.